Dear students, it is time to tackle Chapter 6, Consumer Purchasing Strategies and Wise Buying of Motor Vehicles, or how I would have uh, titled this chapter, I'd like some more things, please. Isn't that the American way? Isn't that what you want? More things? Well, Microsoft Chairman Bill Gates told CNBC that he wished he were not the richest man in the world. There is nothing good that comes out of that, he said. Huh? Is, don't, doesn't everybody want to be the richest person in the world? I mean, for a while there was Bill Gates, and then it was uh, Carlos Slim of Mexico, and then it was uh, Warren Buffett, and then it was Bill Gates again, and then it was Warren Buffett. Uh, so they trade places, but still, there's nothing good that comes of that? Think about it, dear students. Think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a consummation devoutly to be wished, as Shakespeare said. But really, no, it's a curse. It actually becomes a curse. And uh, you talk to these people in this rarefied air who have more money than they know exactly what to do with. They'll never, never be able to spend it all. And they will tell you it is not it is not all it's cracked up to be. In fact, during the 1990s, when Microsoft was exploding and Bill Gates was still bent on taking over the world, he didn't even realize how rich he was. A reporter said, "Well, Mr. Gates, what are you going to do with your money? What do you where, where are you going to who are you going to give it to?" And he looked at the reporter and said, "I'm not giving away any of my money." And he didn't understand. It caused an uproar. And they said, Bill, you don't understand. You, you, you can't spend all of the money you have. I can't. Uh, you're going to give it away. I am. You, oh, oh, okay. I am. And I, oh, yeah, Mr. Gates, was mis he misspoke. He meant to say he wasn't giving it away yet. And now he has one of the largest in the world foundations where he's given away virtually, not, not all of it, but a lot of his money. And uh, so will uh, Warren Buffett. Will, Warren, Mr. Buffett will use Mr. Gates's foundation to give away much of his money because they can't spend it all. How many cars can you have? How many mansions? How many? Yeah, you, you just can't spend it all. Let's continue. Scandal number six of our culture of consumption. Number six. Uh, clothes. Yes, clothes. Uh, here we are, dear students. Uh, Thanking you for the clothes of your dead people. What? A journalist was on assignment covering cultures around the world and specifically how their cultures relate to and think of our culture in the United States. His guide in East Africa, the affluent part of Central Africa, invited him to see the distribution of the clothes from the dead Americans to the locals. When the journalist asked the guide why the locals thought the clothes were from dead Americans, the guide looked at him oddly and said, Why would a living person give away any of their clothes? That was very odd to him. I mean, I mean, you, they still fit you, right? Uh, they aren't falling off. You wear those clothes. You give away clothes? My goodness, how rich you must be. Slide number four. Four, scandal number 12 of our culture of consumption, pets. Pets? Pets, yes. A what therapist? How much does a very busy dog therapist charge for six one-hour sessions with you and your dog? $250, $500, $1,000, or $1,500? The answer is $1,500. That's $250 per hour. I'm in the wrong business. 
when I see people spending this kind of money on their dogs, I like to think of Vietnam where they eat dogs. I want to apologize in advance because I do my best to have fun with this chapter. It's a little silly, you know, consumerism, and we are, you know, into our things. Uh, I'd like some more things, please. So I will eventually insult everybody. So if you're a big dog lover, my apologies. A big car lover will insult you too. So don't worry, we'll, we'll insult everybody by the end of the semester. We live across the street from a small park where people bring their dogs, and it is nauseating, literally nauseating, the way these people treat their animals. Here, Pookie, come here, girl. Good little girl. Oh, Pookie, don't tear the lungs out of that little doggy there. And then the dogs are attacking one another, and the people are wondering why they're dogs. I mean, they're, they're, that's what's what they do. They they fight for territory. Anyway, uh, slide number six. How much is Fido costing you? By the way, speaking of dogs, what is the average yearly cost of owning a dog? Is it less than five hundred? Between five hundred and a thousand? Between a thousand and fifteen hundred, or over fifteen hundred dollars? Well, of course, just one series of therapy sessions costs fifteen hundred bucks. And remember, this is per dog, and many people have two or three dogs. The total for Americans is $62.8 billion, and it is rising quickly. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not condoning acts of terrorism. It doesn't help your cause. Certainly, it just makes the people you attack that much stronger and that much more uh, determined to, to win. But when you see... Your children die of dysentery because they don't have access to clean water for 15 cents a day or 30 cents a day. And you see people spending thousands of dollars on their dogs and cats. You see how you'd be tempted after your children died to strap a bomb to yourself? I'm not condoning terrorism, please. Told you I'd insult everybody by the end of the semester. Um... Don't think that the veterinarians and other people know all about this. They will tug on your heartstrings and get you to swipe that credit card to the tune of $6,000 so that Fido can live an extra couple of months on chemotherapy. <clears throat> think about it, folks. Think, then feel. I know it's horrible to put down an animal, but... Don't go into $10,000 worth of debt to keep a dog alive. It's your money. Slide number seven. Frugal, frugal, frugal. We add that to our list of four mantras. Spend less than you earn. Live beneath your means. Pay yourself first and make love, not loans. I can't get my wife to spend any money. That was the um, lament of a millionaire. There's a wonderful book called The Millionaire Next Door. And along with The Wealthy Barber, these two books are just, just wonderful for personal financing, finance. And those quotes, the, that one and the next one, are from The Millionaire Next Door. But first, let's, let's finish this slide. Let's look at the top slide of, the, of slide seven. Don't forget taxes. Remember from The Wealthy Barber, for every $2 you spend, you must earn more than 3 maybe up to $4, depending on your income bracket. And the wealthy barber says a dollar saved is $2 earned. Well, that's if people are in the 50% bracket. Not too many people are there, but that's the idea. From the millionaire next door, 
as I said, a very fun book to read. Be careful because this was the first one in the mid-90s. The numbers are a little out of, out of date. And then it spawned a whole genre. Think like a millionaire. Be a millionaire. The millionaire mind. This one was the first and still, in my humble opinion, the best. How did the wife of a millionaire respond when her husband gave her $8 million worth of stock in the company he recently took public? She said, I appreciate this. I really do. Then she smiled, never changing her position at the kitchen table, where she continued to cut out 25 and 50 cent off food coupons from the week's supply of newspapers, just as she had done each week for the past 27 years. You see, well, <laughs> how was this businessman been able to, to, to uh, put together the company that made them millionaires? He was, he, because his wife was very frugal, and now she can't stop being frugal. I can't get my wife to spend any money. I don't know if I want to say that to my wife. Anyway, uh, think about it, folks. Think about it. Because millionaires are not what you think. They are not what you think. Slide number eight. This is, again, from the millionaire next door. These people cannot be millionaires. They don't look like millionaires. They don't dress like millionaires. They don't eat like millionaires. They don't act like millionaires. They don't even have millionaire names. Where are the millionaires who look like millionaires? Now, this was spoken by a senior vice president of a trust department of a major bank that had commissioned a focus group interview of 20 first-generation millionaires. You see, they had purchased caviar and wine and tea sandwiches. And these people came in in jeans and T-shirts and corduroy shirts, and they asked for beer and sandwiches. Right? They didn't drink the wine. They didn't eat the tea sandwich or the caviar. Who ate the tea sandwiches and the caviar? Who drank the wine? The people in the blue suits who are making a lot of money every year, but spending more than what they make. You're right, the people who work at the bank. <laughs> the millionaires are people who own, you know, um, um, uh, uh, car washes and... Uh, and uh, plumbing supply stores and and uh, 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 motorhome uh, parks, business people who have scrimped and saved all their that doesn't make any sense. It's a it's a paradox. Slide number nine. In the mid nineties, this is the the, uh, the 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 research that the folks who wrote the Millionaire Next Door. One of them just passed away a f recently, and there's a link on the website to his obituary. At the time, there were over 8 million households in America with a net worth of over $1 million. The median age is 57 years old. See, it doesn't happen overnight. Now, what does median mean? Median means 50% above, 50% below. So it takes time to build wealth. Unless you're one of the lucky ones who snap your fingers and you become instant Snapchat or whatever it is or Farcebook or or whatever you become an instant multi that very few people actually do that folks most of the millionaires you see every day and you don't even know who they are most are married and have not divorced what's the most important financial financial decision you're going to make in your lifetime right more than 80 percent are first generation millionaires now what does that mean what is, think about that these people started from scratch they didn't inherit their money some of them did, but more than 80% didn't. And the median income is 131000 Now, it's probably higher now, 
But still, that's not what you think of a millionaire salary. Because remember, half are above 131000 half are below. Most invest at least 15% of their income, some more. And what were we shooting for? Right, we're shooting for 10. These people do more. And 50% had never spent more than $399 for a suit, $140 for a pair of shoes, or $235 for a wristwatch. So you remember all those our money suits? I don't know why they call them our money. After you buy it, it's their money. And the Fuji shoes? I'm sorry, the the Gucci, the Gucci shoes, right? No, the millionaires don't own them. They own jeans, t-shirts, corduroy, and they don't flash around in these things. Right, right. Slide number 10. The lesson is clear. If you want to become a millionaire, having a high income is not important. You must be frugal and invest wisely. Therein lies the paradox. You understand what a paradox is? Two things that don't make sense, but when you think about them, in the, yeah, it does make sense. Do you want to be a millionaire or do you want to live like a millionaire? Or what you think millionaires live like. All the people you think are millionaires, fancy cars, flashy clothes, are really just high-income, high-consumption wage earners with 10 credit cards all run up to the maximum. The millionaires are the penny pinchers. You see? <laughs> and as we said, that's why it's called the millionaire next door. You don't even really, because first of all, they don't want to show you. And secondly, they're not interested in in living what people think a millionaire lives like. They just want the security of having that wealth. And then someday, you know, who knows? They'll take that trip around the world. But maybe not. They're too busy. Slide number 11. Oh, yeah, Piano? What about the lifestyles of the rich and promiscuous? And Don King and Jennifer Spears and Brittany Lopez, huh? huh? What about them, huh? Well, the media loves to showcase the high net worth, high consumption celebrity figures. The truth is they constitute only a small percentage of millionaires in the United States. The media advertisers love them. Why? Because they encourage the little folk like you and me to overconsume. Does Marriott Hilton or Paris, France, or what is her in Paris? Milton, France, does, does she buy the $90 water that she flashes while she's flashing her body parts in front of the camera? No, they give her cases and pay her a million bucks to walk around with it. Does uh, Leopard Woods or Cheetah Woods, Tiger Woods, does he pay for his Nike shoes? No, of course not. They give him the shoes to wear and they pay him. A, well, maybe they don't pay him a million dollars anymore, but that's the idea. And so you see Paris, France, or um, Tiger Williams, or whatever, whatever. You, you see the celebrities wearing these things, drinking this stuff, so you want to drink it too. <sighs> and when you're sitting at home watching TV, feeling sorry for yourself as you compare yourself to Bouncy or Beyonce, Instead, compare yourself to the citizens of Niger. We often say Niger, but it's Niger, believe it or not. Over 60% of the population live on less than a dollar a day. Wait a minute. You go to five bucks on Monday, you've spent the whole week's salary. 
Uh, about 41% do not have access to clean water. Over 90% of the women over the age of 15 are illiterate. Ladies, and you thought the misogynistic tendencies in the United States were coming back. Life expectancy at birth is approximately 44 years. In fact, about 1.2 billion people live all around the world on less than a dollar a day. Yes, it's improving, but we still have a long way to go. By the way, why is that woman called Beyonce? That's the cultural Mecca. That's the, the golden uh, uh, fleece, the, the holy grail of pop culture to be known by one name. And so you get these weird names like Moby and I don't know, whatever, to, to see if you can be named given by one name. Um, slide number 13. So do you still believe... That you would live happily ever after if you were a millionaire? Today, all of a sudden you're a millionaire. Are you happy? Well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> because happiness is a quotient. Here's the mathematical part of our uh, presentation today. It's equal to what you have over what you want. Hmm, let's think about that. In other words, I can go out and get more, have more, but if my wants increase faster than my haves, my, my, what I own, what I have, then the happiness is not going to get bigger. It's going to get smaller. If the denominator gets bigger, even though we might be adding to the numerator, if the denominator gets bigger, which it can because there's all kind of stuff you can want, then we're not going to be happy. Simply put, if you never learn to be happy with what you have right now, assuming you have food, clothing, and shelter, and internet access, and are not stranded by yourself because we're social animals, we need that camaraderie. If you're not happy now, giving you more money isn't going to make you happier. Your wants will always outweigh what you have. And even if you do become a millionaire, you will still face the same day-to-day -day travails that everyone else faces. Your life will be more comfortable, but there's no guarantee of happiness. Why, how do we know this? We know this to be true. Because if you've done any kind of demographic studies on suicide, you'll find that it doesn't matter whether the people are poor, middle class, or very rich. People commit suicide at about the same rates, no matter how much money they have. Bizarre, huh? Yeah, it is. And, and think about it, folks. We in the West, the Western culture, we've emphasized ownership and, and what you have and increasing the ownership. And we found that you know, it really hasn't made us happy. Who wants to be the richest person in the world? There is nothing good that comes of that. In the Eastern cultures, they have emphasized minimizing the denominator removing the wants that's buddhism and uh, shintoism you have lead a simple life and you want less hinduism you we we tend to equate heaven in christianity and and judaism and in um and islam we tend to equate that with nirvana in buddhism and and and, and hinduism and they're not the same they're diametrically opposed 
Heaven is the fulfillment of all desires. You are you are transformed and you have everything you need. Everybody gets a pair of wings and a harp and there's shuffleboard and volleyball and there's a birthday every night. It's the it's the culmination of the Western ideal of ownership. Nirvana is exactly the opposite. It is the destruction of all your desires. You one by one remove those desires until finally you no longer desire your life. So death is not something you fear. You see, you didn't think we'd get into comparative religions in a personal finance class, did you? No. But I hope to change your life. I hope to help you understand how to be happy with what you have right now because you are richer than you ever thought. You give away your clothes. You you feed a dog as well as feeding yourself. <laughs> you see? And yet we compare ourselves to the people on television and we don't have a Maserati or we don't have a, a, a golf course in our backyard. So we can't be happy. Slide number 14, <clears throat> batteries, scandal number 23. Given normal usage, how many alkaline batteries would be replaced by one nickel metal hydride battery? Is it 25, 100, 500, or 750? It turns out it's 500, and if you play your cards right, you treat them well, you might even get 750 out of them. Screw the Energizer Bunny. You see... Rechargeable batteries are, f for most applications, far more economical. They cost more to begin with, but you don't have to buy 500 alkaline batteries. But what we're finding now is that the technology folks are finding ways of using lithium. Lithium's a little different than nickel metal hydride. It has some major advantages and some major disadvantages, depending on your application. But they're 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 not as um, they're they're better in cell phones and and they're using them in, in laptops and electronics and now cars. But nickel metal hydride is very cool, especially if a camera you use a lot. You have a, a rechargeable uh, batteries for your camera. That's that's the cool thing for them. That they they're 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 using lithium more and more, and that's what's in the in the cars. That's that's the, the lithium is actually pretty cool, but it doesn't work as well for the applications where an alkaline battery would work or a nickel metal hydride. But anyway, check them out. You can see them at, every once in a while at Costco or one of these other outlets. They'll have a big sale and, and you can buy 10 of them for 20 bucks. Normally, they're much more expensive. Okay, let's continue. Uh, beware of emotions. Shopping can be an addiction. Many, many people buy things simply trying to fulfill some unmet childhood desire. What? An addiction? Shopping? Well, yes. John Bradshaw, who popularized many of the psychological uh, themes and concepts that had been uh, put together over the last 50, 60 years, wrote that an addiction is any mood-altering behavior that the participant is no longer in full control of. He talked about this one client of his who had 47 cashmere sweaters. And you, wait a minute, what? how many sweaters can you wear? <laughs> and cashmere sweaters are not cheap. I guess it depends on where you go. But what was going on? What was the dynamic? The woman was not 
happy. She was not feeling well. So she would use the experience of identifying and, and purchasing and bringing home cashmere sweaters, which what, 200 bucks a pop? You know, there, there goes your Roth IRA contributions for the, you know, for the next last, next five years or so. So don't think the advertisers do not know all about this and other psychological phenomenon that you are no longer in control of. That's why they use sex to sell their products. Do you ever wonder why they have always stuffing some woman's butt in your face? Be guys, because it works. Here is the brain of a typical male. Oh, censor that. Yes, um, yes. Uh, this is, it gets me so angry. I'm driving down the road, or and I see this big billboard, and this woman holding a beer, or she, no, the guy's holding a beer, and the woman's on his arm, or two women on his arm, or, and I think, oh, you can keep the beer, but I will take the bubble-headed bleach blind with the big. Thank you very much. Ooh, it gets me so angry because it works. <laughs> Does advertising really work? Well, if you ask people, slide 18, if you ask people, do television commercials affect you? And what do they say? say nah, they don't affect me. Television commercials do not affect me. That's why the advertisers spend hundreds of billions of dollars a year on advertising, because they know it doesn't affect you. Right. Uh, let's read slide number 18. Economists estimate that every hour of television a person watches each week increases their annual spending by about 200 bucks. In 2005, Nielsen Media Research reported that the average person watched approximately four and a half hours of television a day or 31 and a half hours a week. At $200 in extra spending for each hour watch, that means that the average person spends an extra $6,300 a year that they would not have spent if they did not watch TV. And by 2009 or 10, that number had gone up to five hours per day. That's nine years of your life, folks. Nine years. And, and think about it. That means somebody's watching 10 hours a day, because this is the average, because I don't watch any. And we have links in the presentation, links on the class website and in Canvas that are to various um, articles that discuss television watching. It turns out that the more television you watch, the unhappier you are, unhappier you are by various social um, um, measures. And it takes years off your life. One study in, in, in Australia found creates a sedentary lifestyle that is very unhealthy. So why do people... I don't understand why people... I, there's 500 channels and, and none of them are good and people complain about that and yet they watch it. I haven't figured that one out yet. Slide number 19. What factors motivate you? Well, who are you, right? They want to know all about you. That's why there's Forest Book. They are doing their best. I'm sorry, uh, Fleece Book. What's it called? Face, Facebook, right. They are doing their best to create a demographic profile of you because they want to leapfrog Google. You see, you go to Google and you type in uh, pepperoncinis or, uh, I don't know, horseshoes or whatever you're interested in. And Google sends you all these ads. And whenever you click on one of those ads, that's how Google makes money. Facebook wants to use your page and your friend's page to figure out 
before you even figure it out that I want pepperoncinis. And then they'll show you those ads before you even ask for them. You see? And it works. People click on those ads. And so all these things are important on slide number 19. But in my opinion, the most important things are the culture, the media, and your peers. Why do they want you to wear something that says Hollister or Hamster or or whatever, you know, whatever the whatever the current I don't know what they are now. Dick Dickney. I can't figure that one out. Dick Dickney, Dick D K N Y and BB or Baby or something like that. Because you want to be different, just like all your friends. You want to be different, just like everybody else. So you'll wear what they wear. So they want them to wear that so that you'll wear it. I don't understand, but that's how it works. And so slide number 20. Speaking of influences, would someone please tell me why a roach handbag is worth $600 more than a JC Penney's handbag? Um, oh, um, sorry. Uh, coach, right. I apologize. But for the prices they are asking, shouldn't they really be called first class? I mean, coach, right? Coach, but these things are... And don't even get me started on on lose, loser Vuitton or lousy Vuitton or right. I did my research. I went to my wife Anita because that's her name. I said, Anita, take me to Fascist Valley. I mean, um, yeah, Fashion Valley. And so we went to Fascist Valley, and I walked into the Roach Coach store, and I walked up to the wait, wait, not the waitress. I walked up to the to the to the woman there and said, "Show me your most expensive bag." And her eyes lit up. And she kept apologizing because they had these $3,000, $4,000 bags and they didn't have any in stock. And she had this $1,350 bag. And she shows me this bag is $1,350 and it's a bag. And I'm opening it up looking for the cocaine or the gold and I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Why is this thing $1,350? And she's telling me how wonderful it is. And I finally said, look, you don't sell too many of these, do you? She goes, oh, no, no, no. What's the bag you sell the most of? And she showed me this little bag. It's like, you know, eight inches long and about five inches round. And it's small. It's a little handbag. And how much was it? $97 or some strange number. And 100 bucks. And I thought, okay, I got it. These people who buy these things, many are no longer in control of their emotions. They, they are using this thing to make themselves feel better fine that's their opinion that's i mean that's their prerogative it's their money but if you have 47 of these things and you haven't funded your roth ira right exactly uh slide number 21 scandal number 73 light bulbs light bulbs yeah given normal usage how many incandescent bulbs those are the old bulbs that uh, you know people used and threw away quickly would be replaced by only one light emitting diode led bulb is it 2 12 22 or 42 it's 42 why because incandescent bulbs give off 90 percent of their energy as heat they last an average of about 1200 hours an led bulb can last up to 50,000 hours yes and over its lifetime how much energy will one LED bulb save you in energy 
how much money i'm sorry how much money will one led bulb save you in energy and replacement costs is it 25 dollars 450 dollars 637 dollars or 1960 it's six, 600 bucks 600 bucks so why do people still buy incandescent bulbs well they only cost 94 cents and an led costs three dollars to buy and by the way incandescent bulbs are going to disappear if they haven't disappeared already and why is that because not because of some government edict but the government and uh industry got together and industry was you know was more than happy to get rid of these things because they understood that they were a, a tremendous waste of money and energy and then politics got involved right <laughs> right uh, people who are diametrically opposed to any kind of progress decided that it was ridiculous for the government to to not allow me to buy an incandescent bulb and my goodness if i want to spend an extra six hundred dollars on incandescent bulbs that's my prerogative because i'm stupid and I, 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 look folks you know we only have so much energy but that's okay that's okay no problem we'll We'll, we'll, we'll keep our incandescent bulbs because we don't want any government people sending radiation. Because other people thought they were wanting you to get the LED bulbs because they, they were putting radiation in your head. Yes, that's true. Some people said that. Slide number 24. Consumer purchasing activities. <clears throat> we have a problem. We need something. Where do we go? Where do we go for information? We go to our contacts. Do we go to... Uh, uh, business organizations do we check out testing organizations such as consumer reports a very useful uh, and fun uh, uh, magazine that i love and we will use in um, chapter in, in this chapter we'll come back to it a couple times are quality and price always related dear students you decide do you take the time to comparison shop well it depends on how important it is and whether or not i really bother but that's your decision. I do. I hope you will. Because do your possessions own you? Own, oh, do you own your possessions or do your possessions own you? I want to own my possessions. I don't want them to, to be telling me what to do. Slide 25. <clears throat> the book says negotiation may be used on some products. I say it can be used on all products. In fact, getting back to Consumer Reports, if we jump to the bottom of slide 25, a 2004 to 2007 survey by Consumer Reports shows that more than 90% of shoppers who asked for a discount got at least one. The negotiated price cuts were on a wide range of goods and services, including furniture, electronics, and medical bills. Now, I understand, you know, people say, oh, you can't go into JCPenney's or Macy's and just ask for a discount. Yes, you can, especially if you're buying three of the, this item. Now, what's the worst they're going to do? They're going to say, no, it's the worst they can do. And and people, oh, he said no. Oh, it, it caused it, me to, no, it didn't hurt you at all. So don't be afraid to ask. What's the worst they can do is say no. Decide on cash or cash. Um, get all acquisition and installation costs and conditions in writing because in some instances, the maintenance and ownership, <laughs> tried to put the two words together, Costs may be associated with some purchases. Cars. Complain if you're not satisfied with the purchase. Do you complain? You know, 
the stores, they understand that there are some people who just will never complain. They will just go someplace else. And so they want you to. Believe me, I know the guy or gal behind the, the complaint desk is not very happy because the five people before you treated them poorly. And, and so they're just trying to smile. And But no, they do. They want you to, uh, they want to make it right. Within reason, be reasonable, right? Be reasonable. Practical purchasing strategies. When is the best time to buy Christmas cards? Right, the day after Christmas. Brand comparison versus impulse buying. Would you buy the store brand? Hmm. Do you want Heinz ketchup or the Vons or Ralph's ketchup? I think sometimes they're made by the same companies. They not not the more premium brands, but they just slap somebody else's um, label on it. Do you evaluate the warranties and the service contracts? Do you do price comparison? Because stores are supposed to have unit pricing that provides a standard of measurement. So that is what we like to see. Of course, every once in a while, you, they don't do it. They'll tell you what it is per ounce or per, um, or per you know, um, hundred or whatever. Sometimes they just say per package. You know, it's a, you know they don't get the unit pricing. Uh, but I know some people just won't bother to look around and other people will. I'm one of the ones who will. Do you use coupons? Do you use rebates? Why do they like rebates? Why don't they just give me the money right now? Because they know, you know, that some people just don't get around to sending the rebate in. More convenience and ready-to-use products means higher prices. Yes, it does. And in fact, there's a wonderful a defunct magazine called the Tightwad Gazette, and they had a they had a, a, a great article on potatoes, and we're going to use it. In fact, that's your assignment. Hang on a minute, and a few slides we'll take a look at it. All right, and sale does not mean always saving money. Sale does not mean saving money. In fact, in fact. <laughs> This is pretzel logic, folks. That you, we see this every day. They bombard us with this pretzel logic every day. But it's on sale. Think of how much we will save. Wait, what? Well, not the, doesn't make any sense, folks. You may spend less than what you would have if you bought it you know, before it was on sale. But you never save money whenever you sp buy something. You always spend money whenever you buy you don't say when you save money you put in the bank or an investment you spend when you buy so who it's on sale think of how much we'll repeat after me i want to hear you i want to hear spending is never saving spending is never saving spending did we do this in the face-to-face -face class and they look at me and roll their eyes but this is the idea and and they hit you with this every day look this is what happened this is from that fabulously exclusive french department store mervon now defunct, uh, where my wife and I went to buy some shoes, and I get the receipt, and it says, you saved $37.02. And I went up to the woman, and I said, I didn't save $37.02. I spent $75.40. And my wife said, Frank, please leave the poor woman alone. Come on. She's trying to pull me out of there. And the woman just looked at me and she goes, but sir, um, it, you saved $37 if you bought it on uh, the, re re the regular list price. I said, well, yeah, list price. I Whoever buy, pays list price. I mean, list price is 10% off list price always. And, 
and my wife's pulling me away and I kind of felt bad afterwards but at the time I was having a ball and so I love as I said I love to um I'm basically a subversive and I like to uh, upset the apple cart make the familiar strange and the strange familiar slide 29 scandal number 118 meat meat is a culture of consumption scandal yeah it is it is actually how many gallons of fresh water are used to produce one pound of beef how many gallons of fresh water are used to produce one pound of beef what does that mean you need a cow to produce beef no you have to feed the right a hundred gallons 100 gallons 500 gallons a thousand or 2500 gallons 2,500 gallons that produce one pound of beef? What do those animals drink a lot of? No, it's not what they drink. Remember, the cow doesn't come out of the mother weighing 1,500 pounds and ready for slaughter. They have to grow it, which means they have to feed it. Right, right. And the problem with that 2,500 is that there are estimates all over the map. Uh, the beef industry says it's only 441, but most people don't believe that. And then this expert from Cornell University, who's an expert in his field, but people think he's a crackpot because he says it's over 12,000, realize that it's, it's an enormous amount of fresh water that we're using to grow the grain to feed the cattle and other livestock. So how many people can be fed via grains with the resources needed to feed one person with beef? Is it 5, 10, 20, or 30 people? It's 30 people. And so you go to Hodad's, which I think you should do every once in a while, just because you know we don't live that long. Um, I loved Hodad's. They had this sign up, but they took it down. It said, stop eating, stop whining and eat it. Nobody lives forever. The cardiac uh, burger. And, uh, and you could have fed 30 people with those resources. Plus, what we're finding out now that we're living longer is that lots of meat, eating lots of meat. I'm not trying to make you turn into a vegan or folks, you know, I'm not trying to do that. But it's just not that healthy for you. It was, we turned to becoming, uh, from vegetarians to becoming omnivores to, to survive because we needed to adapt. But that's when we lived an average of 30 years, 40 years. I mean, it was an old person. Now that we're living 70, 80, 90 years, we're finding that beef is not the best thing for us to eat. So think about just reducing your... If you want to go vegan, that's up to you. Good luck. But, uh, but just think about reducing the amount of meat that you eat, and you'll live longer. Slide number 32. Here is the cost of convenience. And again, this is basically taken from that tightwad gazette, which is now gone, which is sad because it was a phenomenal... And a lot of fun. You can still find them in libraries and because they turned it into like a book. They just put all the magazines together. So the cost of convenience. You go to the uh, store, whatever store you use, uh, grocery store or grocery outlet or one of the places, and you see 10-pound bag of potatoes on sale for $1.99. Sometimes you see them for 99 cents. And what does that mean, right? Well, in general, a... Serving size is about five ounces, right? Five ounces. So you take that 10-pound bag of tomatoes, potatoes home, potatoes home, and you cook a five-ounce potato in the microwave or whatever, and it's going to cost you about six cents. Now, what can you do with it? Right, mash it, 
turn it into um, uh, French fries, uh, bake it, whatever. It costs you six cents. As soon as you buy it in the Aurorita Extra Crispy Fast Food Fries 26 ounce bag, that five ounces of potatoes goes from six cents to 90 cents. If you buy it in the Pringles potato chips 5.2 ounce tube, it goes to $2.59. Now, that always drove me crazy. I mean, it looks like it looks like it should be tennis balls in there, right? What those things are not potato chips. I don't know what they are, but they're not potato chips. And now not to be outdone, Lay's has their own they call them stacks, which are basically the same thing. I stole the idea from the people who developed Pringles, which happens to be the same people who sold sell you Tide soap. Uh, Lay's fat-free Olestra potato chips, which you can't get anymore. They've taken them off the market. But this was an experiment in how stupid people really can be. Because Olestra was this fat-free substitute, which tasted like fat, but would not digest in your system. In fact, it, it acted like a lubricant, like a laxative. And so on the package, it said, warning, this product may create abdominal cramping, loose stools, diarrhea, vitamin deficiency, and anal leakage. I am not kidding. It was on the package. It's no longer available. Idahoan premium hash browns in the three ounce package cost you three dollars and sixty five cents for a five ounce serving mcdonald's french fries in in a small is small two ounce it's a small french fries that's three dollars and ninety eight cents for five ounces do you ever wonder why mcdonald's says ask you do you want fries with that that's where they make all their money they make all their money off of the um uh, french fries right and then the mashed loaded cup, this stuff, I mean, it's a cup of mashed potatoes. And it just, I don't understand why anybody would be interested in that. But obviously it sold. <laughs> $6.30. And then the granddaddy of them all, dear students, the granddaddy of them all are these pop chips. They have a bag that's like three ounces, and then they have another bag that's 0.8 ounces. It's a bag of air with less than an ounce of potato chips in it. And it, they sell it for anywhere from 99 cents to $1.19. And when you buy it for $1.19, it's $7.44 for a single serving. So, do you understand the cost of convenience? Yes, you do. And so the more convenient, the more processed the food you buy, the more you're going to spend. Indeed. Which is why often people who start having a second in a second household, a second earner, wage earner, now they're buying more processed foods. What's happening to all the money? Well, a lot of it's because they don't have time to cook. Slide. So that's your assignment, by the way. That's your assignment. You're going to do this or something like this. So look at the assignment sheet. You can use potatoes or wheat or rice or, or corn or, or oatmeal. Any of the staples makes it, it makes it a lot easier. Watch the, take a look at the assignment. Many people have told me this is a tremendous eye-opener. So check it out. Slide number 33. Speaking of food, can you match the continent with the number of calories per day? 
I bet you you can. Who's got who's eating the most calories of different day? Who's eating the fewest? Yeah, exactly. North America eats the most. Eurasia in between and Africa the least number of calories per day. And the average is about 2,700. How much do you need about between, depending on you, anywhere from 2,000 to 2,500? Slide number 34. The daily total caloric intake of the average American has risen by 148 calories per day since 1980. This reflects an extra 15 pounds per person each year. Are your clothes feeling a little tighter recently? <laughs> Yeah, me too. And don't think the food companies don't understand this. They know this. They know that if people ate what they should eat, they would make $150 billion less. So they don't really take it seriously because they don't want to hurt their bottom line. Slide number 35. Speaking of food, now you know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> 8,000 years ago, this was the image of the ideal woman. What a babe. Wow. Yes, that was what they worshipped. Why? Because she can have babies and she can feed them too. Yeah, she's uh, she's ready there at the at the get go to feed them. And now you you know <laughs> now here is the image of the ideal woman. That's scary to me. That looks like a woman who has just been liberated from Auschwitz and was being given nothing to eat these people these women they have the four major food groups it's a uh, water nicotine caffeine and lettuce i mean that's their four major food groups isn't it so bizarre eight thousand years ago when when we had a scarcity we worshiped a woman who was obese she's really too she weighs too much and now we we worship women who can't have babies that's right. Once a woman gets below about 5-6% body fat, they can't have a baby. These women on the right don't menstruate. Strange culture. Slide number 36. According to recent studies sponsored by the USDA and the NRDC, uh, United States Department of Agriculture and the National Resources Defense Council, how much of the foods, nation's food ready to harvest never gets eaten? 2 to 5%, 10 to 15%, 20 to 30%, or 40% plus. How can that be? Well, dear students, many people throw away a lot of food. A lot of it doesn't get to the consumer. But much of it never gets harvest, harvested. And why is that? There's not enough people to pick it. There's not enough people to harvest it. Bizarre. Very bizarre. Which is why, after NAFTA, we should have had a guest worker program. We didn't do it. You know, immigration is always in the news, of course. But these are the people who created NAFTA 20-some-odd years ago. And they knew this was going to happen. They knew <coughs> that Mexican agricultural uh, sector was going to get clobbered. Because the United States and Canada were far more, still are far more uh, productive. Even though Mexico has caught up tremendously. Don't get me wrong, Mexico hasn't stood still. But you're a farmer, and in 1994, 95, 96, you now see corn and wheat and other foodstuffs being sold for less than it costs you to make them in your home state in Mexico. What do you do? You're in trouble. You're out of business. You have to either go to one of the major cities and try to find work, 
or you go to the place where they need farm hands or they need people who understand farming and that's why after nafta the amount of of immigrants who entered the united states illegally exploded it was about three million before nafta hit a max of 12 million and they knew this was going to happen this is the thing that kills me about this is why i would not be good in in politics instead of instituting a guest worker program which is what they should have done it was hard enough for them to just get NAFTA approved without talking about allowing people to come in. So they knew it was going to happen, and they just allowed it to happen. And now we're in a situation now where people are angry, and it's created a backlash, and we want to uh, beat them up for trying to survive. Okay, hey, hey, what are you going to do? Slide 37. The average family of four throws out how many dollars worth of food each year? 50 to 75, 100 to 150, 250 to 300? it's about 50 bucks a month and some studies have the number much higher $50 a month that's how much you should be putting in your Roth IRA 38 scandal number 235 bottled water bottled water yeah folks this is an ad we'd love to see I just wanted to folks it's just water it's just freaking water well yes and no I mean this water uh, there's one company called Voss or something like that. Somebody showed it to me and said, somebody spent $11 for this bottle. I was like, oh, wow. And if you get the smaller one, it's $7. I said, what, what, did, what did they do? They handpicked the hydrogen oxygen atoms and, and gingerly put them together? You don't like San Diego water? It's hard. Get a filter. It's not that expensive. It's a lot cheaper than buying bottled water. But it ain't just really water. There's also a plastic water bottle that goes with it. And how many plastic water bottles make their way into landfills or wind up as litter each year? Is it about 6 billion, a little over 12 billion, 22.5 billion, or 28 billion? It's 22.6 billion, or about 62 million water bottles every day. State of New York actually says it's closer to, to, to 28 billion. That's what they say. But this one company, this one organization, ContainerRecycling.org, which, by the way, is a cute little website you want to check out because they have this counter that's counting up all the the uh, the water bottles that are winding up in web in landfills. Very strange, very strange. But that's our culture. Slide number forty-one. You have a complaint. What do you want to do? I told you, I told you, folks. They want to hear from you. Return it to the place of purchase. If that doesn't help. Contact the company's main office via the telephone or their website. I love to write a letter to the CEO, directly to the CEO. And one of the times I actually got a response directly from the CEO. It was floored. But uh, usually, you know, some minion takes care of it. Uh, would you go to the Better Business Bureau or the Federal Trade Commission? I don't know. I don't know. If you are dead set on fixing this, then there are two options for you before you go to a lawyer. And the one is called mediation and the other one is called arbitration. They are not the same thing. Mediation is very cool. The parties decide for themselves. It is non-binding, which means if both parties are not happy with the outcome of the mediation, either one can walk away. And the mediators have this wonderful uh, um, process excuse me that has been developed over years in fact i took the training and i i i am a a, um, a certified mediator although i've never done any uh professionally it's very effective and you often get a uh, result 
that is positive for both parties. Whereas arbitration is something completely different. Arbitration means you go to a third party. It can be one person or what you can do is you can choose one person. They can choose the other side, chooses another person. And the two of those representatives choose a third. So it'll be two to one or three to zero or there won't be a tie. And whatever they say is binding because you entered into the arbitration agreement. You signed an agreement that said, I will not go to a jury after this. I won't take you to court after this. Now, there are some... There are some ways to get around that, you know, if it, there was a little bit of hanky-panky going on and a lawyer can prove that, but normally, no. That's what these uh, television shows that are, like, supposed to be a judge, it's not really a judge, it's an arbitration panel, and it is legally binding, because the last thing is legal action. And folks, you don't want to take legal action. The folks who, the only, the only people who always win in the legal action are the lawyers, Maybe small claims court, okay, because you get your day in court, it's done with. In fact, the small claims court, what they're going to do is they're going to send you to the mediator first. They're going to send you to the mediator, and the mediator is going to tell you, look, it's either this or you just take your, your, your chances with the judge because you might look like the judge's ex-wife or ex-husband, and you're going to lose. It's that simple. It's just, you don't know. You never know how it's going to turn out. Uh, you've seen that you, you can see see these things. You're absolutely sure. Oh no, this guy's going to win. Oh no, he lost. Uh, you can't use a lawyer in small claims. You don't want to use a lawyer in small claims, folks. It can cost you thousands of dollars before you even get to the to the court. So there are some legal aid societies that might help you with a little bit. Prepaid legal services might help you with a little bit. But for the most part, try mediation and arbitration first. This one website is actually very good. It's called nolo.com, and we'll see that website again back in, out at the end in Chapter 14. There's reasons why there are lawyer jokes, dear students. There are, yes, there are reasons. Why, but before the lawyers were ready, we pistols at dawn. So I'll, I'll pay the lawyer 250 bucks if I need to an hour. Personal consumer protection. Look, folks, come on. If it sounds too good to be true, right. None of my students are going to get scammed, right? Keep your eyes open. Realize that if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Deal with reputable companies. Don't do any business with any telemarketers or spammers. Put your name on the do not call list. It doesn't always help. These people know that they're breaking the law. They don't care. Avoid signing contracts and other documents you do not understand. If they can't explain it to you, to your... You know, that makes sense to you, then you need to either go see your lawyer or just walk away. Compare financing through the seller with a credit union because the seller usually makes most of their money off the financing. Avoid rushing to get a good deal because if, oh, you got to sign up to that. Wrong. Just walk away. None of my students. Right. None of my students. And check out the FTC because they do have a pretty, uh, pretty good little website about all the different types of... Um, scams that are going on because some of them are quite sophisticated folks finally slide number 44 scandal number one of our culture of consumption cars yes <laughs> when the history of the united states of america for the 20th century is written it will be our love affair with cars the 21st century hopefully it'll be our love affair with bicycles or who knows what because we're just getting started in the 21st century. But we'll see. When we come back, we'll discuss our national love affair 
with cars. I hope you've enjoyed this. And again, I apologize if I've offended anybody. Remember, we will offend everybody by the end of the semester. When people say, you're prejudiced, I say, no, 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 no. I hate everybody the same. See ya.